This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Mission Log A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 102. Lonely Among Us. Welcome into another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Maybe. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, trying to suss out the messages, morals, and meanings, and figure out whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, it's lonely among us. Ken, what do you mean, maybe you're Ken Ray? Lots of voices running around in there, John. I can't be 100% certain. Well, according to Deanna Troy, that might be perfectly normal, or you might need to be hypnotized because you are, uh, I don't know, being shared maybe by an alien entity intelligence. Well, that's only good afterwards, but we can actually get into that later. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, yes. Does loneliness rip your trectum? Will it need not? Get in touch with us, please. Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. You can reach us in all three places at Mission Log Pod, or you can call us at 323-522-5641. You can email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And we have a lovely home on the internet, missionlogpodcast.com. You can also find us at trekmovie.com as part of their featured media content. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, one thing that people can do if they want to, Mm -hmm. if they want to, they could send us trivia. But the thing is, we've already got a trivia master. Oh, sometimes I try to step in and and fill his shoes, but his feet are tiny and I overfill his shoes, sadly. (laughs) John Champion and trivia, everybody, let's hear it for him. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So, um, first of all, I know that I will hear about it because, as you mentioned, Ken, people do send me things. I know I'll hear about it if I don't mention it. But, yeah, we got a good look at that original series era shuttlecraft. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that you mentioned it. You noticed it there, Ken. I did notice it. What I couldn't tell, though, was was it the Galileo or the uh, Copernicus? Was it Copernicus? Was that the other one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did have Copernicus. We did have Galileo. Although, technically, in the original series, the original filming of the original series, they only had the one model. So they were all Galileo all the time. Now, (laughs) was that a model of the model that they used, or was that actually the Galileo from the original series? No, that that was a model of a model. Oh. Yeah, yeah. My my understanding of it is is a model of a model. Um. A couple of other things to point out here. Uh, Mark Alimo makes his Star Trek debut here as the chief of the Anticans. Now, we will see a lot more of him in the future, particularly in Deep Space Nine. But in this case, he was not so sure. He actually went uncredited. <laughs> he just didn't know if this whole Star Trek in the 24th century thing was going to play out for him or not. Um, another first year, we see the Starfleet dress uniforms, which we'll also see a lot more of later. Um, I wanted to give a, a special mention here to Kavi Raz. He played Singh. And uh, it's kind of entertaining because he was unavailable for one pickup shot that they did. And he was portrayed literally by a wig on a chair. 
Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> just in case you might be concerned that uh, Kavi Raz's range is limited to being a wig on a chair, no, no, he is in fact still very much a working actor in TV and film. It even has some cred- credits as a uh, producer and director, so uh, he is still very much around and much more active than just being a wig on a chair. Um, the makeup for this episode was done by Star Trek veteran Michael Westmore, of course. And um, it's worth pointing out that they had a little trouble with the Sile masks. Um, since the workload, uh, they had so many masks to create for this episode between the two races uh, that the work was divided among two different uh, makeup houses, two different uh, artists and manufacturers to develop these. Um, so one set of masks came back to the studio and they were much too heavy and immobile and they were only used in the background. So at the last minute, Westmore created two new masks for the close-ups, had a little bit more flexibility in them. And uh, all of those masks were seen again later in backgrounds on other Star Trek shows. Um, Michael Halperin gets his only produced Star Trek credit here uh, as a writer for this one, the story by him. Uh, But it's DC Fontana who actually wrote the screenplay. Uh, This was directed by Cliff Bull, and this is his first of many next-gen episodes, and then later Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Um, He had a lot of TV credits leading up to and after this, including some genre favorites like V and Six Million Dollar Man, and... He directed a fair number of episodes of T.J. Hooker, starring, of course, Captain Kirk, William Shatner. Wow, so no stranger to snake-type aliens on film, then. Oh, ooh, yeah, yeah, very much so, with uh, with his credit for V. Yeah. That's what you were referring to, right? Sure, why not? Forecast for the show. Cloudy with a chance of relatively in-depth discussion of Lonely Among Us. Also, watch out for lightning. Prologue. The Enterprise is picking up representatives from a couple of warring races, the Antikins and the Soleil. The home planets of both want to be admitted to the Federation, but first they have to settle their differences. Captain Picard and crew are to take them to Parliament, the sector's neutral conference planet, where it's hoped they will settle their differences, make a mothership connection, grab flashlights, and demand that the Federation give up that funk. As rich a story as that might be, the feud between the Antikins and the Soleil is the subplot for this episode. The real action is in that totally rad energy cloud the Enterprise is picking up. Anyway, that's what it looks like. Can't just be a cloud, though. It's traveling at warp speed. Data says there's no record of anything like it that he can find. Picard decides to make a close sensor pass of the cloud, which is now changing shape. Down in sensor control, a burst of energy zaps Lieutenant Worf, knocking him unconscious. Geordi LaForge calls for medical help for Worf as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. Geordi's trying to tell Captain Picard what happened to Worf. It was like some kind of pulse or something hit him. Geordi's visor picked up something like a glow around the unconscious Klingon. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher is examining Lieutenant Worf, and here's a new wrinkle. The same sort of energy that zapped Worf and the sensors now passed from Worf into Dr. Crusher. Seconds later, Counselor Troy comes in to find Worf is perfectly fine now. Yes, says a sort of zombified Crusher. We're both fine. Both normal. Worf wakes up with no memory of what happened to him. 
Crusher is kind of on an ambling mission now. After a short chat with Wesley, she realizes she has got to get to Helm Control. She eventually finds her way to the bridge where the energy that had passed from Worf to her passes into Helm Control. With seemingly no memory of how she got to the bridge, Dr. Crusher returns to work in her office. No sooner has she left than there's a malfunction in the station next to the one that she'd been working on. Then a malfunction in the one that she had been working on. An engineering calls to say there's a problem with the warp drive circuitry. And one of the transporter rooms calls to say there's a problem with the console. Enterprise D is less than one year old. Data says the level of malfunction is a virtual impossibility on such a ship. Act 2. Picard is grilling crew members about what went wrong. Riker says the good news is it's fixed, but Picard still wants to know what caused the issues in the first place. Engineer Singh says it looked like a rampant energy burst jumping from system to system. There's just one problem. Shouldn't have been able to do that. Riker and Lieutenant Yar have more antics with the Antikins. It really is a subplot. Let's just get these guys to Parliament, turn these mothers out, as it were, and get back on our way. That's going to be tough, though. All of a sudden, warp power is failing. Picard tells Data to signal Parliament that they'll be delayed, but the subspace radio isn't working either. Picard, Riker, and Data consider what's happening. Data says there is no way this ship is breaking down on its own. Riker agrees. There must be a saboteur on board. He doubts it would be a member of the crew, believing instead that it's probably someone from the Antican or Soleil delegations, maybe paid off by the Ferengi. Picard wonders whether it could be someone or something else entirely. Riker says Picard's thinking like a private eye. This is a new concept for Data, and will lead to his discovering Sherlock Holmes, an association that may play out through the next generation, who can say for sure. It will play through this episode, though. That we can say for sure. Down in engineering, Wesley seems to have found one of the jump points, or termination points, or some point having to do with the energy burst. He tells Lieutenant Singh, who says, Thanks, now go do your homework. Captain's orders. Later, Wes is talking with Dr. Crusher about the conversation they'd had earlier in the day. Remember, Mom? No? No memory of an entire part of the day? Huh. Back in engineering, Lieutenant Singh is hard at work. You know, Singh seems like a good character. I look forward to seeing how he... Oh, dead now. Killed by a burst of energy. The same kind that hasn't killed anyone else to this point. Act 3. Picard has ordered an investigation into Singh's death. Down in engineering, LaForge, Worf, and Wesley find warp power has been restored. Worf and LaForge figure Singh must have fixed it before he died, though Wes says that's impossible. The problems were in the engines, not in the controls. This will continue to trouble Wes, though the advice from LaForge is basically, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yar is doing the groundwork on the Singh investigation, quizzing the Antikins and the Soleil. They're both lying about where they were, but here's the thing. Data, now in full-on Sherlock Holmes mode, pipe and all, surmises the two delegations were too busy trying to kill each other to have time to kill Singh. In sickbay, Troy wants to hypnotize both Lieutenant Worf and Dr. Crusher, since both have suffered periods of memory loss. Under hypnosis, both reveal that they felt something else was in their minds with them. Troy explains it to Captain Picard, saying that it confirms the feeling of duality she sensed in them earlier. Um, if you sent something, why didn't you say something, asks the captain. Please, says Troy, I get duality off everyone all the time. I mean, people. Am I right? Data thinks he knows what's doing this. It wasn't a member of the crew. It wasn't an Antican. It wasn't a Soleil. The only other variable 
was the energy cloud. So it's that. Just then, Picard is called back to the bridge. Helm control is down again. Leaning over and touching the control, the energy burst passed from Geordi's console to Captain Picard. LaForge thinks he might have seen something, but Picard says he's fine. Everything is fine now. Act 4. Hey, says Picard, I have an idea. Let's go back the way we came. Course laid in. Riker wants to know what's up. They gotta get to Parliament. No, says Picard, we gotta go back to that energy cloud. Riker, Troy, and even Data sense that something is amiss, but they have their orders. Senior staff starts talking over relieving Picard of his command. They got a feeling they'll need to, though how to do it by the book is difficult. Dr. Crusher tells the captain that she would like him to drop by sickbay for medical and psychiatric testing. Yeah, maybe you're the ones who are crazy, says Picard. I order you to have medical and psychiatric tests. She does that, then brings the results back to Captain Picard. He really wasn't interested in the results, though. Dr. Crusher finally asks him point-blank, Are you Jean-Luc? He is here, says Picard. And more. Big adventures ahead, kind of exciting, and soon, we'll both be home. Act 5. The Enterprise is back at the energy cloud. Riker confides to the first officer's log that he's convinced something is sharing Picard's body with Picard. The combined entity admits that freely. It did not mean to kill Singh. In fact, it didn't even mean to get aboard the Enterprise. It was accidentally scooped up during the ship's sensor sweep during the prologue. Now, though, it does mean to beam its captain-energy combo back into the cloud, free to explore without physical limitation. The crew tries to stop him, but the Picard thing holds them all captive with one mega-unending energy pulse. The Picard thing beams itself, energy only, out into the void. Over an hour passes with no sign of Picard nor the entity, and no indication of where they beam to. Riker orders the ship back on its course to Parliament. But wait! Troy senses the captain. Only the captain. Turns out he and the entity could not live as one outside of the Picard body. His energy finds a way back into ship's systems. Data figures out how to use the transporter to rematerialize the captain, who remembers beaming himself out, but nothing after that. This Picard pattern was formed before beaming himself into space. Back in the subplot, the Antigans have apparently eaten one of the Soleil. Picard leaves the situation to Riker to sort out. The end. Uh, well done, Ken. Thank you for uh, kind of extracting the deep intricacies and crossovers between the A plot and the B plot, because uh, I could have been really confusing there <laughs> for people not paying attention. Um, <laughs> And uh, and a yeah. quick question for you. Now, on the way to Parliament, were they giving up the funk, waiting for the bomb? I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't say for sure. I do know that they had a real type of thing going down, getting down. Well, there's a whole lot of rhythm going well, down. Well, there was. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I imagine somebody would get down in 3D. Um, oh, man. Probably on the holodeck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and for the, for the uh, half of our listeners who just tuned out, <laughs> um, right. I'm really, really glad that you mentioned Parliament Funkadelic. I could not watch this at all without thinking about George Clinton. Yeah, so, uh, and just every yeah. time he talks about going to Parliament, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would, I, who wouldn't want to go? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. I, I thought the Slee Stacks had more to do on <laughs> Land of the Lost, but it was good to see them working again. Yeah. So glad that they were back. I thought maybe know. this was what Cobra Khan um, eventually uh, <laughs> evolved into. 
<laughs> right, right. Well, you know, they kind of do the same thing. And, and uh, let me preface this by saying that I'm a big, big fan of Michael Westmore, but even he admits they had some trouble on this one. Um, the the Slee Stacks, whenever you would watch Land of the Lost, you would only know which one was talking because that's the one that's hands were moving right. because the, the face would just not move at all. So you just have to look for the one that's hands are going up and down. You go, oh, that's the one that's talking now. Have you, know? you, have you had a chance to look at the script for this? Because we concentrated very, very, very much on the Antikins. And once you mm-hmm. said the part in... in um, in uh, in uh, in trivia, yeah, about how unwieldy the the Soleil masks were. Right. I'm wondering right. if if they were supposed to be, it was supposed to be more evenly divided, and then they were just like, well, no, the one that looks like a cat. I mean, his mouth actually moves. So let's just <laughs> right. make all of those scenes Antigens. Right. Right. Uh, there was no, a distinct I, lack of snake on screen, and I know it wasn't the director's fault because you know he'd yeah. worked with snakes before. Yeah. Right. 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 And he also did V. Mm, oh, hey, yeah. Um, no, I, I have not looked at the at least the early script script notes for this to know what uh, what they had in mind. I do know that on set they referred to them as the dogs and the lizards. Oh, dogs! Interesting. Yeah. See, I yeah. was getting more cat off it, but I get that. I can see. Mm-hmm. I can see dog mm-hmm. as well, and lizard. I just I don't get. It. It's all snake all the time. It seems, <laughs> except right. for the fact that they have arms and legs. Well, well, yeah, there is that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, there's a distinct lack of McDougal or Argyle, mm-hmm. uh, though he is mentioned in this episode. We we might know why we have a lack of Argyle if you listen to last week's episode. Well, now I, I heard I heard Chief Engineer Argyle mentioned. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I thought they were related. Is that the same? <laughs> I thought okay. they were. <laughs> Maybe yes. he was trying to disguise himself. Oh, I really upset everybody last week. I, I, I'll, I'll just go by Argyle. Exactly. And nobody will recognize me. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but I, I really liked uh, Assistant Chief Engineer Singh, although mm-hmm. uh, one of our listeners wrote in to ask if the, he was actually assistant to the Chief Engineer Singh, nice. a, la, a la The Office. I thought that was very good. Um, but yeah, we, we have very few characters so far from his part of the world. You know, we had uh, Vijay uh, Amritaj in Star Trek Four. And uh, we had Lieutenant Rada from That Which Survives. And uh, you pointed out to me that we had uh, Reginald Lal Singh playing Captain Chandra in Court Martial. And really, that's been about it. Well, uh, you, a couple of things on that, though. You say we have very few characters. We do, of course, have one of the most important characters, at least in the original series tellings. Well, yes. But, but I mean, there's a big difference between characters and actors. I mean, there yeah, was Khan. Yeah, I was saying they share a last name. Yeah, Khan Nguyen Singh. Right. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. You have to be a you have to be like a two hundred one level geek to know Khan's full name. I think, which <laughs> right, is right. you know nothing because I mean this this goes all the way up to a thousand. But you know mm-hmm. two hundred one, yeah, it's not just Khan because yeah. you know, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan Noonien Singh probably would have turned people off. It would have been very long on the marquee. Yeah. But I, I kind of wish that we had more of him. I felt like we dispatched with him rather quickly. <laughs> well, the the entity dispatched with him rather quickly. Yeah, I don't understand why he got killed. And nobody else did. Um, I, I feel like we'll get into this maybe a little bit later, but I thought it was interesting that in this episode, we learned that humans, at least in the 24th century, are vegetarians, except for a replicated form of artificial meat substitute. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that's created in the, in the same way that the transporter or the holodeck creates um, 
matter out of energy. And I thought it was particularly interesting that Riker would make his argument on moral grounds regarding the enslavement of animals. Now, I, I know that this was not necessarily the position of most of the people who wrote and produced Star Trek, uh, but it was an interesting indicator for me about this new enlightened future that we're portraying here. Uh, of course, in TOS, all we ever saw was the brightly colored cubes of food. Uh, usually melon dyed with, uh, dyed with food coloring. Well, except uh, we did hear talk, though. I mean, they had meatloaf, but they wanted to shape it like turkeys. Right. Yeah. Right, and then right. they ended up producing actual turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. That so, was I mean, a trick. Yeah. we do know, even though they never showed it on screen, I mean, mostly they just looked like they were eating Play-Doh, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that they, they still had a, they still had a hankering for the great taste of meat. I think too, but but this is uh, it's an interesting topic to me because I feel like when you have that level of detail, particularly in something as far removed as science fiction. Wait, it, wait, wait! Stop right there because we are going to come back to it. This is one of the reasons oh, okay. that maybe we should check each other's notes sometimes. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to coming back to it. Then. Yeah. Um, uh, I did have one thought about uh, Beverly in that scene where she and Wesley are talking about um, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're talking about the warp theory and all that. And I just thought, what, what if she's really that bad of a mother that, that Wesley thought nothing of her forgetting what they had talked about? Because he has that moment. Wait, wait, you, you don't remember talking about that? Boy, something's really weird. Yeah. What if it was just like, oh, you don't remember again because you never listened to me? Let me, preface this. Let me preface this by saying I am not a parent, and there are plenty <laughs> of reasons why I'm not a parent. But mm-hmm. I, I was a little horrified, you know, by the whole thing of, you know, so this thing with the dilithium crystals. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. Really? Because you have never once cared what I was talking about, <laughs> which right. is not exactly what he said. You know, right. I might be being a little harsh, but as long as you're going on the bad mother trip with her. Yeah. I, I've actually, I, I not to... Well, mm-hmm. I, above being a bad mother, I'm kind of wondering if she's yeah. a bad chief medical officer. Uh-huh. Um, because so here she was examining Worf. The very right. next thing she knows, she is on the bridge, you know, where the controls of the ship are. Right. And she has no memory of going from one to the other. But I'm just going to I'm just going to pretend nothing happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, do, do. I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. go work in my office because I should be in my office. And it's a very it's a very human thing to do. Certainly, I mean, I yeah. know. Listen, I had an uncle, a great uncle, who had a stroke, and then went and got ice cream, and he mm. knew that something was wrong, and his wife knew that something was wrong, and she left him for a minute to go call the doctor, and he left the house. I mean, wow. and it's because wow. it's because he didn't want to he didn't want to acknowledge that uh, he was also not chief medical officer. <laughs> <laughs> no. of anything so yeah, you know yeah. and and certainly after that episode he was never gonna be i'll, I'll give you that <laughs> but um it just it struck me as kind of weird that you know her first inclination is to cover up what's wrong with her yeah, yeah. well because clearly she has a very um kind of open line of dialogue with picard and yes. it, it, at the very least with him you'd think she would say hey something really weird just happened yeah you should be aware of this particularly in light of the fact that you know we've got a klingon who just got knocked out <laughs> you know right so um yeah, yeah. Good, good point that although in fairness that would actually be her last memory i mean Worf is not standing mm, yeah. there on the bridge so her last memory would be of Worf laying in sickbay right right so, right, right you know I mean, it, I mean, it, it, for her, like a second or two has passed. But the fact that you know, 
in that second or two, she has, for all she knows, teleported to the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You would think she might go, hey, guys. Something wrong with the transport. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Um, I, I like that in this episode, we start to see Data's or, or at least Brent Spiner's sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, this is obviously the start of what will become a, a long running gag with him taking on the character of Sherlock Holmes. And, and that's kind of cool. Um, but I also really like how we very often see an amused and bemused Riker in so far in much of what we have seen in the previous five episodes. And, and in this one, he's really charmed by Data's Sherlock Holmes gag when the others don't get it. And we have seen that in other scenes, like uh, Data using the Chinese finger trap. And it's Riker who's sort of smiling and amused about it, and Picard who is definitely not amused by it. Something about Riker's uh, amusement this time, though, actually felt more um, genuine. And like, yeah, maybe this way it stood out. I don't want to. I don't want to read too much into it, but it's almost like um, Frakes was having fun seeing Spiner, yeah, play because because I because I mean it's always been it's always been borderline. Oh, that nutty android, you know, look on Riker, and and I really felt like he was actually um, thoroughly enjoying those scenes this time. But I mm-hmm. might just be you know mm-hmm. watching Star Trek a little too closely. I gotta say, uh, good news. Uh, yeah. The writers on The Next Generation have solved the McCoy gumbification issue. <laughs> Remember how it always drove me crazy. Like, if we need somebody to say something stupid. Yeah. Well, in the original series, let's just go ahead and have McCoy say it. Because people right. are used to that now because we do that all the time, even though he is not a dumb man. Right. And and, and there's no reason he should say something that stupid. The solution, of course, is uh, Tasha Yar. Mm. And and again, I am so bothered. This this is a character that really should have had so much more that should yeah. have had. I think I heard you talking to somebody one time saying that the kind of thing that you would that, that if they were doing this today, you would like to see more of a um, uh, like Starbuck from the uh, yeah, Battlestar yeah. Galactica reboot. And yeah. and that's an excellent example of what this character could be. I mean, right. uh, Starbuck in in uh, in, uh, in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, was a was a sexy character. She was an intelligent character. She could be a funny character, mm-hmm. but she was tougher than nails. I mean, yeah. like whatever the next like go two things out from tough as nails, and that's what Starbuck was. Maybe even more <laughs> right. than that, right? right? And this is what Yar should have been. But the problem is to move a forty eight minute story along, you need like you know dumb exposition. Mm-hmm. And thank God we have Tasha, you know, for now. Because, I mean, she'll do that. The whole, you know, so so uh, uh, Data is doing his, you know, Sherlock Holmes thing. Right. And he says, it's not so much about what they told us. It's about what they didn't tell us. And Tasha says, we can learn something from non-disclosure. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I know you didn't grow up, you know, in in a house. Right. But yeah, that you know, that's, that's when your kid right. says nothing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I guess nothing then. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, maybe we can write it off in the character as that, but really it's just, you know, we need a prop to say something. Oh, okay, we'll bring in Tasha, and, and yeah, she'll yeah. say something dumb, and that'll move us along. Which is really, I mean, again, I don't know how long we're going to mourn um, what happens with Denise Crosby in this show, or how long we're going to mourn what happened with that character in this show. Mm-hmm. Um Watching it much more closely this time around, though, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. I, I I begin to understand a bit more both um, 
her frustration and the willingness to, oh, well, let's not replace her with another actor or actress, rather, or actor. Um, let's just uh, let's just be done with this and, and move on. No, I agree. I agree. It's really it's too bad. A um, couple of things that we get here. Uh, first of all, we have the return of hypnosis. Um, remember, we talked about how we couldn't really have hypnosis as a procedure in Dagger of the Mind uh, because it, it would have been Spock and he was not a trained medical professional. And uh, the NBC censors at the time cut that. So uh, I thought it was interesting that we we get that here as yeah. a, uh, <laughs> a a somewhat medically minded uh, attempt. Yeah, we got twenty more years and no network. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Um, and I, uh, I I love Patrick Stewart playing being possessed by the alien entity mm-hmm. because you, you kind of pointed to it in your recap. And, and I feel like in some of the characters here and in other sci-fi shows, it would be a really over-the-top thing. You know, it, it would be Picard saying to Crusher, no, what makes you think I am not myself, Dr. Beverly Crusher of the planet Earth? You know, it, it would be something that really just totally indicates. But with Picard, it's all the subtle things. It's him putting his feet on his desk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great, great moments like that that uh, I, I thought he really nailed it and made it, it made it smart. You know, you, you never want to underestimate the intelligence of your of your audience. You want to play to the top of the intelligence of the audience. And, and he did it. So um, well done there. Um, question for you, Ken. Did they actually kill one of these Sile, Sele at the end? Yes. That, that last, okay, because that last moment, they're standing in the doorway of the transporter room. And all you hear is it is a puddle of blood. And the Antikins are asking the chef to prepare reptile who looks like the Sealy ambassador. Yeah, I, I I I misspoke in the recap. I said that they had eaten one, but I figured that was just you know short. Yeah. That was just shorthand. But yeah, they they did actually. Apparently, they did kill one and take him to the chef. Yeah, right. To cook. I'm uh, I'm just glad to know that the 21st century still has a chef. You know, seems like uh, seems like an important job on a starship. Special shout out to everyone who wrote in to say something nice about the computer. My circuitry was touched. Don't worry. I'm having that checked out after the show. So one of the things that struck me as very interesting about this episode is if you're looking for messages, morals, and meanings, uh, I would say it all resides in the subplot in this episode. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of, it's sort of like the whole, well, Riker and Picard are discussing the feud between the Antikins and the Soleil, and Picard wants to know if Riker understands why they're fighting, and Riker's like, I didn't even get this, like, in Earth history. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> nuts. And Picard's like, oh, yeah, I know, right? These life forms feel such passionate hatred over matters of custom, God concepts, even, strangely enough, economic systems. Right. Then we can stand there and go, boy, those guys, huh? thank goodness, because we're like 300-some-odd years beyond that. And yeah. um, I, I, again, it's Star Trek doing one of those great things that Star Trek does of just saying, look look how much further we are. We are. Look how much further we're going to be. I mean, this goes to the discussion that we had a few episodes back about um, whether you write a, a 
borderline utopian society or do you mm-hmm. write a society that's still you know struggling with everything that we're struggling with today mm-hmm. um it also goes to the whole thing that you were talking about earlier meat is murder because you know mm-hmm. there's a song title so i gotta um <laughs> antikins and Soleil issue number two the anakins demand that their uh, animal food be brought to them alive so they can kill it themselves before they eat it uh Riker says that's not going to be a problem though he also points out that people don't you know enslave animals for food anymore their meat comes from replicators um which the antican finds barbaric um, right i mean it's just it's 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 interesting that i don't want to say all of the star trek in this episode happens in the subplot but all of the star trek messages in this episode mm-hmm. it seems to me happen in the subplot well not all of them there is one other thing that i well what's up with everybody just being like well i'm glad it works now <laughs> 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 you know, right, there there are two right. people on this ship who are concerned about the fact that something that wasn't working is working again, and we have no idea how did that how that happened. Um, mm-hmm. at, well, maybe three, except Singh is dead. Um, mm-hmm. But it's Picard and Crusher, uh, young Wesley Crusher, right? Yeah, and Jordy, who is going to be chief engineer, and I know we're not supposed to cross the timeline and get ahead and all that stuff, but Jordy mm-hmm. is going to be chief engineer. And he, they, God, they need one. You yeah. Know? Right, well, they yeah. keep going through them. Yep. I know, Stumpy yeah. Stumpy Joe Dorita can't be engineer forever. <laughs> um, it, it, who's going to be chief engineer is like, hey, it works now. You know, Wes, sometimes it's just the results that matter. To right. which Crusher should have said, yeah, results of what? We didn't right. do anything. I, you're right. You're right. This result matters. Uh, witness the fact that we have no idea what caused this result. Should we not be a bit concerned? Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. the answer is yes. They should have been concerned, but they were too busy just being glad. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, let's uh, let's take these on sort of in in different places. Because I, I do want to talk about the meat is murder thing. Like I said, I, I thought it was interesting that that they would make that argument and oh. and make it on moral can, grounds. Can yeah. I can I pause you really quickly? Sure. Yeah. Love me a hamburger. Oh so, yeah. Hey, so I am not me meat is murder is a Smith's song, and it's certainly mm-hmm. a, it's certainly an idea that a number of people have have proposed. And sometimes, if I think about it too much, I can feel bad about it. But I'm not making a case either way at this point. I'm sure. saying what they said on Star Trek. So there you yeah. go. Uh, same here. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Ditto and agreed. Um, well, like I said, we know that this is not necessarily a statement in a big way from the people who wrote and produced Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I, many of them enjoyed a fine hamburger as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is interesting to me then that they are just sort of projecting, okay, here's something that's different in the 24th century. That's different from now in the late 20th or early 21st century as we record this. So A, I thought that was the, the interesting part of it. B, I thought it was interesting that they made that argument like I said, from a moral position, not necessarily an environmental position or a health position, but it was the arguing about the morality of keeping animals, as Riker says, enslaved um, one, uh, to be used for food. Yeah. One, one does hope that that would be the case, too. I mean, if we if we mm-hmm. get to a point where you can perfectly or even close to perfectly mm-hmm. recreate something that... I mean, it is an industry kind of based on cruelty, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not based on cruelty. It's based on feeding people. It's based on nutrition. But, it, yeah. I mean, it involves a lot of cruelty. And one does hope that you would, if you came to a place where scientifically you could make something that was just as good, just as tasty, just as nutritious, that you would then go ahead and say, well, maybe we don't kill the animals then. Maybe we go ahead and, 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 and put them in petting places or <laughs> train them as pets right. or, you know. 
enslave well, them, and one day they'll learn to talk and take over the planet. But in the meantime... <laughs> that raises a couple of really interesting questions, though, because, okay, well, first of all, in Star Trek, we have seen and, and we have heard reference to the idea that the replicator is not as good as the real thing. Well... Sometimes. Have we heard that in Next Gen? Because it's been 80 years. Well, remember, like the uh, the vaccine that they had to beam up from uh, uh, and Code of Honor, okay? Code of they Honor. Code of <laughs> how, how could you forget? How could you forget? How could you um, remember? Go ahead. <laughs> they couldn't replicate that. It didn't work if you replicated that. They had to have the real pure thing from that planet. Although you can argue about, well, when they beamed it up, aren't they in fact replicating it on some level? Yep. But yeah, but. We, we do know that there are some differences, okay? <laughs> so there's one, there's one issue with that. The other issue then becomes, well, as you said, what do you do with all the animals? Because assuming we live in a future where medicine is greatly advanced beyond where we are now mm-hmm. and nutrition is readily available far beyond the, the sad state of things today where we've got people starving in, in half the world. So if you solve those two problems and people live longer and they have access to nutrition better than we do now mm-hmm. and all the animals are free mm-hmm. to, to do as they please, um, you quickly need to probably move part of that population to another planet. You're, you're going to have a lot of overrun between humans and animals. Well, well, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Are there still cosmetics? Oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. I can't believe you can. I'm so sorry. I know. I can't believe you I deserve can. the emails that I get. I'm so embarrassed. I deserve the emails that I get for that comment. Yeah. Or send them off planet. Or again, you know, yeah. I have said before, we test every episode of Mission Log on animals. <laughs> I, I play it for my dog. And if he's uh-huh. fine, if he's fine at the end of it, then I assume it's safe for human consumption, too. Right. Right. So really, there are any number of ways. I love the fact that you actually wondered about that. I did. I did. Yeah. It, well, and here's the other thing that I wanted about. 25th century is just lousy with cows. It is just it, full of cows. <laughs> they, they got their own ships at that point. Yeah. Um, I did also wonder about kind of the uh, the, the cultural decision there because the, the Anticans find what we do barbaric mm-hmm. and the position from Star Trek as we find what they do barbaric. Mm-hmm. Um, how far do we go in our cross-cultural negotiation and compromise to say, well, that's what your culture does. That's fine. We'll mm-hmm. call you barbaric, <laughs> you know, we, we, or at least we will indicate that what you are doing is barbaric. Um, but we still have to let you live to the, the the sort of cultural standards that you have already established. So you wonder where that dividing line eventually comes. Well, I wonder if there is a dividing line or if it's another one of those, you know, sort of lead by example and also make available to them things that they didn't have before. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they are a relatively recent um, addition to spacefaring societies is the indication. Right, right. Because it says since they you know, since they started going to space, boy, do they hate each other. Right. Um, I mean, they came from different planets. They, they're they not quite as advanced. We're given to understand they're not quite as advanced as we are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe once they get into the Federation, which I'm guessing is not going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. once they get into the Federation, then maybe, um, you know, they then then they start saying, "Wow, so we actually wouldn't have to go and hunt and you know kill these things because while the people who are there you know talk about it with such great pride, I mean we're looking at three people from a race that inhabits a planet, 
so, I mean, there may be people on the planet who are like, oh, it's, it's mean or, oh, it's tiring or, oh, wow, I could actually paint instead of hunt for food every day. I mean, you know, it's, it's possible that just having access to it would be enough to change it at some point. Well, that's kind of a difficult thing to grapple with and too as well, because if you've got the Federation saying, okay, we, we set our own standards for what will allow you in our, our club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or what will keep you out of our club. Now, we want to host this negotiation so you don't kill each other mm-hmm. because we, we just morally and, and implicitly we feel like that is a bad thing. But what are the other sort of rules for admission then? It's like, well, uh, maybe some very clear-cut things like if you enslave other you know members of your society, then that would be a bad thing. But... Let's come back to this eating meat and enslaving animals thing. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe this is the point, as you said, that we lead by example and hope that they follow suit if we give them the technology that they need to grow beyond that. Or do we just say, no, sorry, we, we can't let you in for this reason. Like, There's got to be a very long charter somewhere that says here are the things that would allow you in or keep you out of the Federation at that point. Um, we are once again getting far too geeky for me, but as long as we're this deep in it, <laughs> I, I personally think, I mean, it would have to do with sentience. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would imagine that that would, that would sort of be where the Federation would draw the line. I would and, imagine. And yes, so, they might yeah. find it repugnant, but I mean, uh, the Klingons, don't the Klingons still kill for food? Sure. Yeah. And I guess they're not actually members Art. of the Federation, but we're, we deal with them. Yeah. Right. Or are they members yeah, of the Federation at this point? Has it been stated? I guess they're not, but but we're cool with them, right? For the right. most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah, it hasn't been stated yet. Although we assume that Kittimer in Star Trek Six it was leading up to mm, that. Star Trek Six. Star Trek. 6 <laughs> it was. It was a thing. It has was, not uh, happened yet. Yeah, as we're watching right. this, though, and this is the problem of you know. Well, no, but in the timeline, it has happened. In the timeline, it's happened, but people sitting there, right, people sitting there, you know, watching the first season of, I mean, they're still really excited about Star Trek V. Uh, Oh, dear. Poor people. Oh, no. (laughs) Not that it's all bad, but yeah, anyway. There's other stuff Um, to get to. I mean, honestly, what's interesting, I mean, well, if you'll you'll pardon the use of the term, most of the meat to chew on as far as, you know, actual messages is pretty much dispensed of within – you could probably play the messages part of this episode in about two minutes. Right. Meat is murder. Um, Whatever the other one I said was. People fight over stupid things. People fight over stupid things. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah. And and otherwise – I mean, but not that there's not plenty of other stuff to consider. Right. In fact, I know you you and you (laughs) – well, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about V'ger. Let's talk about the cloud. Oh, V'ger. Uh, I thought you were going to yeah. do the duality thing, you and you. Can you yeah, well, two okay. not decide what you're going to talk about? Uh, well, the duality thing is kind of a throwaway, but I thought it was an interesting moment mm-hmm. where, where Deanna, after she goes through the hypnosis with, um, uh, with Dr. Crusher, and she says that she senses a duality. Mm-hmm. But I, I like how she described it to Picard, saying, who are you talking to when you come to a decision and you ask yourself what to do? Yeah. <laughs> so Picard, Picard kind of goes with a, oh, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Now, what Never thought that, about that. What does that say about the Beta Zeds? Because she actually says, um, we Beta Zeds feel this in you all the time. Mm-hmm. So is she always sure? Oh, yeah. Does yeah, she I mean, never have a question that, right? or can Beta Zeds not read other Beta Zeds? I mean, I don't, I don't know what that is exactly, except she says – 
well, I mean, again, I, I will, I'll just be repeating what I said a minute ago. She mm-hmm, says that, mm-hmm. you know, Beta Zeds feel that in everybody around them. Yeah. Yeah. Unless their their mental discipline is expressed in such a way that is totally different from the way that we approach our decision making. Right. Or or unless they're travelers. <laughs> that that too. Got they nothing from them. Nothing at all. No. Yeah. Not at all. Um, we, we do have a good lesson in uh, in logic, and, and of course, it's kind of uh, uh, an oft-used one, but with data quoting Sherlock Holmes, when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. It was a great moment. It, w- words to live by. I, I like that as well. Um, and I thought that we had a very interesting conundrum on the procedure of removing a commanding officer from his or her command. So a few times you may remember this happened with Kirk Mm -hmm. and and the circumstances were always extraordinary. Um, And you could have Spock or whomever jump in and go like, Oh, now now I'm in command. Now when you're in command, now I'm in command. But this one was a bit more difficult and the alien entity at least is very well suited to counter all of their claims. The alien was very smart. And I kind of felt bad for Crusher and Riker after losing their confrontation with Picard slash alien entity. I just kind of picture them turning around and clenched fists like, oh, I thought we had him. But they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't. He's too good. Oh. He countered everything they had. He's good. Although really yeah. all he said is, I'm rubber and you're glue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Because they were like, we'd like for you to go to, for medical tests. Oh, Interesting. I'd like for you to go for medical tests. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and check the braids or the pips or whatever it is that indicates that I'm the guy in charge because I'm the guy in charge. Uh-huh. So run along and do your little Rorschach test and mm-hmm. I'll be here surfing the web. I don't know. Actually, <laughs> right. he was actually he was staring out the window that time and then he was surfing the web later or whatever he was doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was very funny. He said, he said I'm very busy. Yeah. <laughs> He's very, very busy staring out the window at the stars um all right so, so let's talk about v'ger all right uh all right so we have a cloud entity it's not v'ger I yeah i wanted to say it was v'ger um and and picard speaking of the alien uh speaking as the alien uh, has a great description uh of what the alien is and and how it was terrified of being scooped up by the enterprise i thought that was great um and this alien has intelligence and has motivation and the alien assumes that the people on the enterprise can't understand it because it's just doing its normal alien thing which is going around in in the ship's computer and zapping people and it's like hey i'm trying to talk to you Mm -hmm. and then i thought well what makes the alien so sure that it knows what is best for the captain and what the captain wants. Because what it comes down to is this, you know, the alien basically says through Picard, I'm an explorer. I look at the universe with awe and wonder. So does the captain. We would be so well suited together to do this out there in the cosmos, far better than your puny little ship can do. Mm -hmm. And it just assumes, well, I'm going to take us out there and we will be this non-corporeal mass of energy. We won't talk about the science of that. Um, Wandering around the universe and we can go at any speed that we want. We're not limited by the physical bounds of the ship. And I have to ask, did Picard really want to go? Yes. You think? I believe he did, which raises a lot of questions about Picard, but I believe he did. And I think the reason that I believe he did 
if we take the alien at face value, he's saying, oh, yeah, we're here and we're very excited about what's going to happen. And you could say, mm, maybe, mm-hmm. although maybe you've just taken over Picard the way you've taken over his body. Maybe you've taken over his mind, too. When Picard gets back, he doesn't say, that thing took me. He doesn't say, I remember being brought to the transporter room. What he says is, yeah, I remember I was going to you know, transport myself into space. Mm-hmm. And now here I am. Uh, so then the question is, okay, well, what was that exactly? I mean, does that speak to Picard's innate desire to explore? Does it speak to, you know, his desire to be in space in ways that even, you know, Jim Kirk never wanted to be? Um, is it a drug? I mean, if you, if, if you, the thing was going around trying to find the right place for itself, right? Yeah. And maybe it was just trying to find the way to control the ship. And I guess you could make that argument. I mean, Worf is a non-starter. Uh, mm-hmm. Going into the helm control uh, kind of does a lot for it. It's able to slow it down. But it's still not really able to accomplish what it wants, which is to get back there. And then it finally finds Picard, who is in command. Picard is, is like, you know, everything that they need it, uh, everything that it needs it to be to get back to where it wants to be. It felt to me like it was something that Picard wanted to do, but I'm basing that on what the alien said and on the fact that Picard did not protest when he got back. What do you think? Well, I mean, here's the thing that I feel that works against that. First of all, everybody else who was possessed by the alien entity had no idea what they were doing. As you said, Crusher just winds up on the bridge. She has no idea how she got there. Mm -hmm. So, And even after the fact... She had to go through hypnosis to try to determine what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So whatever thinking, rational, conscious part of her was there at the time was either turned off or that was erased or, or something so that she did not know and could not make a decision after the fact to say, oh, yeah, I was possessed by an alien and it was awesome. Or I was possessed by an alien and it was terrible. I'm so glad it's gone now. Mm-hmm. So she really had no way to parse that at all. And I have to assume that even if the the interaction between Picard and the alien was a little more, um, let's say, a, a little more free-flowing instead of just the alien completely taking over, mm-hmm. the thing that bothers me about it, let's say that on day one, of Starfleet Academy, young Jean-Luc Picard goes into class and they go, okay, thanks for joining Starfleet. Now, here's the deal. One day, you may get to become captain of a starship and those starships are awesome and they have holodecks and you'll have a crew and you'll get to travel around the galaxy and it'll be great. Or you can join your consciousness and become a disembodied form of free-floating energy that jumps around the universe. However, you will no longer have your physical body or any human interaction. Um, You will just be this free-floating, indeterminate, undefinable mass of energy out there somewhere. Would you rather do that? And I would imagine that most people, probably even Picard, would say... You know, I'm used to my body, and I, and I see and I know the world and the universe around me through my body. I would probably rather do that, particularly if there's no chance of coming back. Now, this, in the end, they just sort of had the, you know, the, the deus ex machina of the magic transporter being able to bring somebody back. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't really explain that other than just, well, we had the pattern there. Picard's energy is still somewhere out there. Uh, if we hit a button, hopefully it'll come back. 
yeah. they did. Luckily, <laughs> Picard was the last thing to transport from there. I wonder right. like, if they had like beamed a chair over to a uh, over <laughs> right. to, when he had come right. back as a chair or like a yeah, car. Yeah, I would say, oh my god, it's a, it's a young Captain April. Oh but, wow, cool. <laughs> my mother, the car, or something like that. But very different. <laughs> right, Here's right. a question though. So I was actually, I found myself as long as we're you know playing mm-hmm. with this idea. Yeah, yeah. I found myself wondering why Picard just didn't take over the Enterprise, like inhabit the Enterprise. To this point, we have not heard yeah, the computer yeah. say boo. Yeah. We don't we don't have any idea of what actually runs this ship at mm-hmm. this point, but it's obviously um, largely automated. Why didn't Picard just, you know, inhabit a la Spock's brain? Why didn't he just inhabit the machinery that was going to make the whole thing work? Then he'd be able to explore better than he would as the uh, energy cloud. Right, right. Yeah, which is, you know, yeah. kind of a goofy, geeky thing, but it, it occurred to That's me that That's what we do, Ken. Well, it occurred to me that that was a possibility for him yeah. uh, uh, when that did happen. Yeah, I, I think your I think your question, you know, day one Starfleet, blah blah blah, <laughs> Starfleet <laughs> Academy. It's not it's not a real choice. I mean, you know, once this thing is actually in his brain, or once this thing is in his body with him, and they're actually able to communicate. I mean, it's possible that that he was not. It's possible the alien intelligence did not reveal itself fully to Worf because Worf was not going to get him what he wanted. It's possible he didn't reveal himself fully to Crusher because Crusher is not going to get him what he wants. Mm-hmm. He reveals himself fully to Picard. And at that point, we don't know what Picard comes back with. We don't know you know, what Picard's feeling was about the whole thing. It's possible. I mean, maybe it's the cult thing that we've talked about before. Maybe it's like being drunk. Maybe it's, you know, any number of things. He's operating with his alien intelligence, theoretically, on a different level than anyone else has to this point. Yeah. And so he may actually just see absolute beauty in in the idea of, wow, I can be nothing and then go everywhere and know it all. That That might actually be kind of fun. Well, maybe we're back to that whole this side of paradise thing, though. And and I guess my problem with that is consent. Mm-hmm. You know, if the alien can show up and say, look, here's this opportunity for you. Yeah. And if Picard and everybody else on the Enterprise should go like, oh, crap, we're not going to have our captain. And he's a really good captain so far. Um, he just says, nope. See you guys, even though I have a duty to the ship and even though I have a duty to all of you, uh, this sounds so much better. <laughs> so I'm going to go do this. Yeah. I find that a little hard to believe. And, and, and I do find that there's a consent issue there that I, uh, the, that I really have a problem with. There, that, uh, there may be a consent issue there. The problem is it's not really – it's not fully explored. I would love mm-hmm. to have cut out like three of the scenes with the Antigans and maybe had like a like a two and a half minute conversation between Riker and Picard at the end of this episode. Yeah. About yeah. what the implications were because then, you know, we could have saved ourselves ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And just known the answer. With Captain Picard safely back in his body, and with only one crewman and one passenger killed that we know about. It's time to assess the bigger issues raised by Lonely Among Us. So, Ken, here we are doing what we do. We uh, we wrap up an episode by asking each other if uh, if an episode holds up and what the messages were, and do the messages hold up? It's just the it's the icing on the cake of mission logs. So, mm-hmm. uh, so Ken. How about this episode, just as an episode, as a production, does it hold up for you? Um, it looks fine. <laughs> it's incredibly well acted. 
It's incredibly mm-hmm. well acted, actually. You you said that you liked the um, the, the uh, how um, Patrick Stewart played being possessed by the alien. Yeah, I would say how Patrick Stewart played acting in concert with the alien, maybe. But mm-hmm. either way, um, he's been a great character so far. He's brought a lot of gravitas, gravitas, whichever way you want to say it, mm-hmm. gravitas. Sabotage. In the sabotage tradition, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but we actually get to see him play in this episode, right? I mean yeah. he's I mean he's he's saying words that are, you know, borderline menacing, but he is just so genial. You know, like the whole, you know, practically threatening Riker and Crusher and then just very, you know, very pleasantly saying, I'm really bu- I'm just I'm too busy for this. I'm sorry. It's yeah. he's just having a tremendous amount of um I assume, again, that he's having a tremendous amount of fun. Either way, he's getting to play into a range. Now, we're only six episodes in, but he's getting to play into a range that we have not seen from uh, Patrick Stewart in Star Trek The Next Generation at this point. And it really is, I mean, it really is fun. You you mm-hmm. get the sense not that he's playing somebody else there, but that there's somebody else there. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's fantastic. Uh, again, watching Riker have fun with Data felt more like watching um, Frakes have fun with Spiner. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It, maybe it's because they've been working together for a bit now, and so they're starting to starting to get their legs. Um, yeah, Denise Crosby not included, and and actually, in fairness, um, I I felt like I felt like uh, Doctor Crusher was a bit wooden in this as well. But we're starting yeah. to, we're starting to see some real gelling, not only with the characters on the show, but with the actors. The messages in this are are boiled down to just a couple of things that happened with the Anticons, honestly. It's kind of neat to see the character development, but the first time I watched it, I sort of felt like it was a waste of time episode. The second time I watched it, I decided, oh, okay, it's not quite a waste of time, but I don't know. This this is an episode where just you know some stuff happens, it seems to me. It's not something that, unless you want to count the character development, because this is where we, you know, this is where um, um, Data meets Sherlock Holmes. Uh, mm-hmm. This is where uh, we get to know a bit more about potentially get to know a bit more about Picard. Um, it kind of left me flat. A year and a half from now, I doubt I'll remember this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I kidding? A month from now, I doubt I'll remember this episode. But seriously, right. this is not going to be the ones that I'm going to go back and go. Oh yes, yes. Uh, Lonely among us. That was the one. Although we certainly, I don't mean to offend. We've already gotten an email from somebody, or maybe it was a Twitter mention, saying, "Oh, I can't wait till you get to this. This is my favorite episode." And and God bless you, sir. That's great. And if you actually want to email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com, I'd be curious to find out why this uh, stands as one of your favorite episodes anyway, because I don't hate it, but I don't – personally, there's just not a lot to recommend it except for the acting, which is which is really great. Anyway, that's me on the whole thing. What about you? Well, can I can enlighten you a little bit on that, uh, that mystery tweet. Uh, that was actually from uh, somebody that I – consider a, a terrific friend and whose talent I respect enormously. That is Jared Formby, who is uh, a, a writer. He does the Hey Star Trek column, and he was a performer at Star Trek The Experience. He's somebody uh-huh. whose Star Trek knowledge I greatly respect, and, and I do think he's one of the all-around uh, uh, talented and informed guys. Uh, so mad mad props, just mad love for that guy. And maybe he should have handled this one. <laughs> maybe we should have set this one out. Um, 
in his column, he was talking about why the first season of Next Gen is so grossly uh, kind of overlooked and unfairly maligned. And, and Ken, I think you and I do a good job of taking even the unpopular episodes and trying to find the heart and, and trying to speak to, well, is there some other thing here that makes it hold up? Is there some other important message here that we can maybe get past the weak production values? Um, I I don't think this episode holds up. I, I think that there are a lot of problems with it. Jared makes the case that in the first season of Next Gen, you have all this great character development, and you learn things particularly about Picard, and he speaks to exactly what you are talking about here, which is here's this dark and maybe conflicted stuff that Picard is carrying around. Mm-hmm. Jared and I kind of went back and forth a little bit talking about that moment in the turbo lift that, that you so liked and I so liked from uh, last week's episode from where no one has gone before, that this says something about Picard's state of mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that This is his fear. It's just the empty abyss of space. Well, here we have this moment, this opportunity for Picard to become something else, something different from what he is. Maybe, maybe it's a little like uh, Decker at the end of the motion picture. So maybe it wasn't so far off right. in, uh, in my V'ger analogy. But uh, whatever the point is, you know, regardless, this is something that speaks to Jared, and uh, and I'm really glad that he appreciates the episode on that level. For me, I find it a little hard to get past just the production issues alone. Um, I feel like this is two half-finished episodes, both of which would have held my interest if they stood alone and had been fully developed. I like the idea of the Enterprise playing host to these warring factions. A lot of people criticize DC Fontana for doing a rehash of Journey to Babel. She said, no, no, no. Look, I wrote Journey to Babel. I know what I was trying to get across in that one. This is not Journey to Babel. But if it's just revisiting this idea of trying to play peacemaker in the 24th century, great. That's still relevant. That's still timely. And I wanted to know more other than just, oh, they're at it again. They're fighting in the hallway. Mm-hmm. I want to know what we do to step in to help that situation because we're just running around like, you know, putting kids back in their cribs at daycare. You know, that, that, that's all this is. Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff would have held my interest. And then I feel like at the end with Picard, we just we get a little deus ex machina. Like I said, the transporter just, oh, we're, we're going to put them back together. And that would have been a no brainer in the animated series. Um, it's just the, in the live action series. It was really, really hard because the transporter sequence is taking twice as long as it normally does. And then we all get to wipe the sweat from our brow when he comes through at the end. But not really. We knew he was going to come through at the end. Um maybe what you said is what this episode needs. Maybe it needed a couple of minutes of dialogue for Picard to actually express that he was conflicted. Or if we had the impression that the alien entity was non-consensually taking over the other people that it did, and they didn't want anything to do with it, but maybe Picard is the only one who did. Maybe Picard is the only one who accepted it because he understood it. That could have made this a lot more interesting but yeah. i feel like it just failed on both points so it does not hold up for me but even if an episode doesn't hold up maybe messages do so can messages well i mean the bonk bonk on the head ones that we talked about earlier about yeah. you know uh, the whole meat thing which again 
I mean, I'm only willing to go along with as far as technology. Although, again, too, if I think about it for too long, I mean, I spent a year and a half as a vegetarian because I felt bad. Mm-hmm. And then, seriously, it came down to a burger. It came down to just that. <laughs> it's right. been so long, I'm going to do that. And now I'm back to my life of cruelty for over 20 years. So good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just it, the stuff that's sort of like, you know, handed to you in the dealings with the uh, at, uh, Antikins and the Soleil. Um, we used to fight over dumb things, but thank goodness we don't anymore. Um, I mean, those those kinds of things as far as the message. And then and then sort of the the one that we're not hit on the head with. And I like the fact that we're not hit on the head with it, but I'm afraid we're so not hit on the head with it that that it just, you know, that it gets lost. Um, knowing why is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Right. This was broken. Now it's fixed. OK. That still seems like a problem. No, it doesn't. Shut up, kid. <laughs> I mean, that's really. I mean, that's really. That's really what what happens. I mean, the whole "don't look a gift horse in the mouth." You know, it actually made me think about that phrase: "Don't look a gift horse in the mouth." Sad. Well, I mean, it made me think about it. I mean, the idea yeah, is yeah. you don't. You know, somebody gives you a horse, you don't check the horse to make sure it's okay. Right. And and right. I guess that probably came up in the eighteen hundreds, maybe the seventeen hundreds, where somebody gives you a horse. If it turns out the horse isn't okay, eh, shoot the horse. I mean that you know that, that I think that that phrase actually needs to go ahead and pass out of use now because you probably would <laughs> want to look a gift horse in the mouth because we don't right. live in a time where it's just like oh we'll just leave it on the side of the road. We live in a time now where it's like oh so somebody gave me a horse and I didn't check its mouth and now I'm into like twenty thousand dollars worth of vet bills. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean <laughs> right, right. So I mean it, 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 Jordy's whole thing about well it, you know it just works and sometimes all that matters is that it works. Well. Yeah, if what wasn't working was like this knob didn't work and now it does. But we're talking about everything that's keeping us alive yeah, and keeping us moving. And the fact that there was a problem and the problem seems to have miraculously gone away, mm-hmm. unless we're in the Traveler's, you know, sort of bizarro universe, it doesn't happen. And maybe we should look into it a bit more instead right. of just being taken by surprise when it takes over our captain or, you know, joins willingly with our captain and vice versa. Yeah. Well, um, I would agree with all of that. I, I, I think that, to me, the, the more interesting messages were in that B-plot uh, between the Antikins and the Soleil, mm-hmm. um, having to do with their their negotiation, the, the navigating of the cultural differences. All of this stuff was very interesting to me. We just didn't get enough of it. Uh, we, we barely got any of it. Um, if we were to look at the A-plot, then, you know... It, it's not as much a message, but we're on this familiar ground of Star Trek again where we kind of have to tread carefully in our exploration and, and our scientific curiosity. Because of the, the break in communication, we didn't understand what we were doing when we passed through that cloud, that we were actually disrupting a sentient, well, a group of sentient beings, and it terrified them. They didn't understand, at least the one that latched onto the ship, it didn't understand how to talk to us. So, there is that interesting thing that Star Trek does where it's not just people sitting across a table from each other unable to communicate. This is beings with completely different perspectives on the universe unable to communicate and then trying very hard when they understand at least enough of each other's differences to try to find some common ground. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, Whether or not we can answer if the messages hold up, 
Well, you know, I think the the issue with the vegetarianism here is uh, partly a, a matter of the technology. Like I said, to me, it wasn't as much a message as it was kind of a, an indicator, a signpost mm-hmm. about the future that Star Trek is trying to portray. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, as far as just reminding us again that, hey, you folks in the 20th and 21st century, you've got a long way to go before you can actually say that you um, – listen and negotiate and and prevent yourselves from having the kind of stupid wars that you have now um so that one certainly would hold up for me it does the message hold up and maybe it will check back in 150 to 200 years (laughs) right yeah well ken you don't have to wait 150 to 200 years you can check back with us next week we have more star trek to come ken next week it's going to be just as easy as a run in the park we're going to take on justice Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Get your jogging shoes, and strange one-piece swimsuits ready. Next week, we're running the Justice 5K. And Transmission. love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 